of, or we're actually nearing the end of our sermon series in Philippians. Uh, this is the second to the last uh, sermon. Uh, for those of you who are, who are taking SAT courses, you know that there's a word for second to last. It is called penultimate, okay? So this is the penultimate sermon, okay? So this is the second to the, to the last. And so for this, as we look at this together, we've been talking about choosing joy. And if there's anything you need to be learning about this sermon series as we've been going through, through this, is that if you and I have been choosing joy, and you and I have actually chosen Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we live our life in a different way. And today comes to this, this sermon that we're going to be looking at today, and the passage we're looking at today really comes to the crux of this, really comes to the, where the rubber meets the road, because if there's anywhere we, we, we need to test this joy, if there's anywhere where our faith uh, can actually come out is actually when there's conflict. We will be talking about conflict resolution. It's that struggle when there's, when you're, people that you love just don't get along. They're just not happy, or you're not getting along with somebody. And there's anything that steals our joy, takes away any, saps away any strength we have in God, is that sense of when we are in conflict with each other. Maybe in this broken world, we have relationships where there are broken promises, where mistakes are made, or we've misspoken. And because we've made mistakes and we misspoke, there's misunderstanding. And on top of misunderstanding, there's misinterpretation. And then it adds and piles on. There's misunderstanding of misinterpretation. And it just goes on and on. And our relationships are broken between us. So what do we do? We have been in these situations before. What do you do? Your two best friends have had a falling out. What do you do? In this world of brokenness, perhaps one of the things you've thought about is that I'll just choose one of the friends. Friend A or friend B. Or another thing. Hey, you don't want any part of it. So you ignore them both. All the texts, all the things they do to flame each other on social media, you ghost both of them, okay? You just totally just blow them off, just disconnect from them. You have other friends anyways. What do you do? A husband and wife disagree, seriously disagree. How? Do they make the final decision? In this broken world, I'm sure many, many have actually chosen saying, well, hey, go with the husband because he's the man. Or there's some of us, new age, new generation we live in, new century we're in. We say we go with the wife because when mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. Or the unfortunate choice that many make. They say, I'm done. This is the last straw. This has been taking this my whole marriage. The kids are older now. I don't have to worry about them. It's time to get the divorce. And there's a church. What would you do? This, this was actually a 
seminary question that we've been asked. Okay, so for, for, uh, for those of us, uh, if you can answer this correctly, maybe you should be a pastor, okay? Um, now that I think about it, no, I take that back because I didn't answer this correctly, but I'm here anyway. So uh, uh, a church of 100 members has a vote. The ballots are counted with 51 for and then 49 against. How many members are for after the vote? And the choices sometimes come out this way. Well, it depends if I'm with the 51 or the 49. And for those who are with the 50, 50, uh, 51, hey, it's time to gloat, okay? Uh, uh, for others, if you're a part of the 49, hey, maybe this is the time to leave the church. I can start my own church of the 49. What would you do? And maybe I'm setting you up for failure because that's actually probably the wrong question that we need to ask. Maybe what we do need to ask is this, and what we need to be asking, if we're choosing joy, we're choosing God's way. So what we, want, what we should be doing, asking is this, what would God want? What would God want in these situations with my friends, in my marriage, in my church? And, and so the Apostle Paul, he gets it. He understands this. And so in 2 Corinthians, I'll just read this very quickly for you. He says this, our God is a God of reconciliation. So he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, starting 18. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and trusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What would you do when your friends are having their, their arguments? What would you do if your marriage is falling apart and you can't agree with your spouse? What would you do when your church can't see, seem to make a decision about the direction that they're going in? What would God want? Ultimately, there's this picture of who our God is that we should not forget, that we need to know. If we're going to choose joy in our lives, we need to choose what God wants. He wants to draw us all together as a people. He has redeemed us for reconciliation, to be ambassadors for Christ, to make an impact in this world, to show the power of God to transform us when there's conflict when there's difficulty, when we're not getting along, is when God's power can be most shown. And then we experience his great righteousness in our lives. This is essentially what Paul is try trying to do in Philippians. We've seen this before already. There are problems in Philippi. Paul has hinted at these problems in the church and other passages. In chapter 1, verse 27... 
he hints at what's necessary here because he tells them, uh, I want you to be in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, for, what do you want to do? If you want to complete my joy, if you want to have a fulfillment that you would choose to be of the same mind, having the same love, being full accord of one mind. What should we do? In this world, this broken world where there's conflict, what does God want? If we're going to choose joy, I believe one of the first things that we need to do is to choose to resolve conflict. There's three things I want to touch upon today about this. We need to establish a procedure, our procedure, God's procedure to resolve conflict. We also need to turn to God, turn to God in prayer. And lastly, when all is said and done, you, we are united together, we're joined together because we remember our basic Christian principles, basics of our faith. And those things, those things keep us strong and keep us growing together in spite of our conflict. So here's the situation we're dealing with in Philippians chapter 4, verses, starting at verse 2. Paul writes, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Paul has hinted that there's been some difficulties in Philippi. And here, he just comes out and says it. There's two women, Euodia and Syntyche, and they're having some sort of conflict here. They're struggling together. Uh, now, I have to say that they're both Christians. They're both saved. It actually says that they're both, their names are written in the book of life. It tells us that they're Christians. They have a common faith together. And also, Paul says they're co-workers. They've actually been serving side by side with Paul and then others in Philippi to actually reach others for Jesus Christ. But even with the fact that they're saved, even with the, with the fact that they're co-workers, there's conflict. I think one of the first things we need to know about that is that, hey, it doesn't matter if you're Christian or you're not. Conflict is a part of life, okay? And there's struggles there. The question at that point in time is are you going to say, ask yourself, what am I supposed to do? Or what does God want me to do here? And here, we don't even know what the problem is. And the main concern, Paul's main concern, he doesn't even mention the problem. He doesn't even try to solve the problem. He doesn't uh, kind of throw in his two bits as far as what, what the right answer is. Because in in the end, Paul's main concern is this, for Euodia and also Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Resolve your conflict. Resolve your conflict. 
What's going on with my friends? What's going on with my family, my marriage? What's going on in my church? What can I do? Well, what God would want you to do is this. Establish this procedure to resolve conflict. Uh, before we even talk about resolving conflict, I think, it, I think we just need to stop and, 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 and say this. We need to acknowledge that we have conflict. This is really hard to do, folks, okay? Most of the time, and this happens in Christian circles too, we, we, we just say, conflict? What conflict? I don't have a problem. She has a problem. It's her problem, not mine. I don't have a problem. And I think the struggle for us how difficult it is for us to resolve conflict has to begin with this very point. We all have conflict. We all struggle with difficulties with all the relationships we, we have. Even in our deepest loving relationships, they are going to be, 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 be conflict. Perhaps it's hard for us to admit it because maybe to say that we're in conflict is also to say that there's something wrong with me. But we're not here, Paul's not here uh, in, with the Philippians, and I'm not here to point fingers at you. We want us to be agreeing in the Lord. So stop denying that you have a problem with another, another person. Okay? Um, in, the, in the electronic world, you and I, when we don't like what somebody says or what like somebody posts, you can just go ahead and delete them. Okay, But you know, if you think about that in your life, if you started just deleting people uh, because you have a problem with what they said or they misspoke or you misinterpret what they said and all this kind of stuff, I'd, I'd just be speaking to myself right now, okay, essentially, okay? Because of the fact that you and I know that we, it is not an answer to deny to avoid conflict. We, many of us, come from Asian backgrounds, particularly Chinese backgrounds. We, we live in a culture that loves to deny or to, 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 uh, to, to avoid conflict. Uh, nothing, just sweep everything under the rug. Everything's okay. My wife, she's mad now, but if I stay away from her, she'll calm down, okay? And, that's, and we seem to be focused very much about the fact that let's just get along. But I feel that you and I, when we decide that, when we become, develop a Christian culture avoiding conflict or denying conflict, we forget that we are actually denying God the, his greatest power in this world to reconcile God's people, reconciled all of creation back to himself in Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, choose to resolve conflict. And first thing off is to choose to rejoice in the Lord always. Now, when you're in conflict, probably the last thing you want to do is to rejoice. And so it seems kind of counterintuitive here to do this, but remember, joy 
is the sense of remembering what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And when we, if that is our starting point, and if we have frustrations or struggles with other people, we start seeing our own selves in different light. When we start seeing that we're not a person who's hurt, a person who's in a struggle with another person who's our enemy, but that we see that we're ambassadors for Christ, that we bring to the table a joy, and we bring to the table reconciliation, then that other person stops looking like an enemy, but actually starts looking at like we're on the same team. We're together. Rejoice in the Lord always. And he also tells us that we need to let, to let our reasonableness to be known to everyone. Get a hint of what this means here. Isaiah chapter, chapter 1, verse 18. God actually says to his people, come and let us reason together. And, and this is God speaking, a holy God who's speaking to his people, Israel, who, who's, whose sins are so obvious to the world and so obvious to God that they're like scarlet. They're like red on white, red paint on white. Yet God says, let us reason together. Let us be, and he's open. He's open to dialogue, open to receiving Israel back as his people. And in the same way, in conflict, you and I should be open and teachable. You don't publicly amputate your friends and your family. We are those who are supposed to draw others in, draw others just as God drew us into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't play the part of a cornered, wounded animal and we rush in to solve these conflicts by making public announcements or blog posts or our conversations behind the scene, gathering all your, your friends together to, to, to work against someone else. We are a people who rejoice, are reasonable. And when everything seems to fail in our procedures, we can seek a mediator. Yes, you can actually look for somebody who's a go-between. In this passage, Paul actually calls upon a true companion, someone who the, the women, Syntyche and Euodia, somehow this person is, a, is who can draw them together and who they both respect and who they know that they can actually solve this problem. And, it, and this person won't, will be able to love them both and care for them both, even as he is resolving their difficulties. Philippians 5. If in resolution we need to understand there's a kind of a procedure that's shared here in this scripture, but there's also the recognition that it's not just what we do or how we do it, but that God needs to be front and center 
We need to pray. And so in Philippians chapter, chapter 4, verse 5, it goes, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is a familiar verse for many of us. This is a familiar passage. Maybe it's a memory verse for all of us. But oftentimes we see this as our our personal struggles. But the context here is within conflict. Having conflict with another. We may have an idea how to solve conflict, but in the end, when it comes to conflict with our friends, or conflict in our family, or even in this church, you and I need to have God front and center. We need to be a praying congregation, a praying people. The Lord is at hand. We're not alone. The Lord is at hand, so don't be anxious about the conflict, but call God in to resolve it. You know, when it comes to conflict, and because I grew up in a family that avoids conflict at at all costs, I may have shared this with some of you before. Uh, When I was as an adult, I had a serious conflict with my mom. Uh, Ended up that uh, we didn't talk together, talk to each other on the phone for over a year, okay? And how we worked that out is that I would call, I would ask Carolyn to call my parents. And then if my dad answered the phone, then I talked to my dad. Is that so silly? It's so crazy. Because we have chose, I chose, and I'm so wrong about this, I chose to, to, to not allow God to work in this situation. Because I let my anxiety take over. I don't know what it was going to be like. I feared my conversation with my mom. And many of us, because we grow up in a a society or a culture that avoids conflict, we're really bad at solving conflict. We fear conflict. Your heart heart rate quickens. You you even tremble when you see that person that you have a have a conflict or argument with. But you and I need to be quicker at seeking the Lord's counsel. We need to become a people of prayer because we are people of conflict resolution. We cast our anxieties on him. We ask God to do the impossible, to bring healing in our relationships. We call upon him because that's where the power these solutions comes from. And our God, if he can redeem our souls from sin, he can redeem the brokenness, which is our relationships. And God will guard our hearts and minds with peace. Oh, sorry. I guess I should have turned this in. Okay. Turn to God in prayer to resolve conflict. And the last thing, last passage we're looking at today. Euodia and Syntyche were having conflict problems. They needed a, Paul recommended to them to have a mediator to come in. He recommends and he asks them to be two people in prayer. And 
you know something? I dare you. I dare you to try this, that you would pray with somebody and that you can still stay angry with them. Pray with somebody and see if you can still stay angry with them. It's impossible. If you're both coming before the Lord and desiring to see a change in your relationship, it's going to happen. And this is what Paul calls on Euodia and Syntyche to do. And for us, for us to continue on in that relationship, he tells them this, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. How do we discover what's best for us? He tells us to keep our minds on the truth, honor, justice, purity, loveliness. He has us to keep our minds on this. And I think Paul is inviting you and I to where we discover the beauty of all these things. That's to scripture itself. We turn to God's word to understand what's best for us. This is all the best things that there are in this world and he wants us to have in our relationships no matter how broken. But you need to make a decision to not settle for anything less than the best. Oftentimes in our relationships, we decide to either ignore the conflict or we avoid the conflict or we just, and this is maybe the worst thing yet, is to just live with the conflict. Hey, that's life. I don't get along with these people. I can't get along with everybody. So I'll just, that's it. I just, we'll just have boundaries between us. But that's you and I. Not living by what God's design for us is. We're living by what the world standard is, and we're not living by what the Lord desires for us to experience the incredible and tremendous power there is. A God of reconciliation can also bring reconciliation in every broken, uh, every mess or every hardship or every place where we have a difficulty with each and every one of us. Don't settle for something less. And if you find this very difficult, Paul reminds us again, and we've already preached on this, imitate, he tells Syntyche and Euodia, imitate him. Be, find good role models and so that you can practice these things because you're seeing how it's working out in life. And Paul has endured plenty of opposition from fellow believers. We can look back in chapter one and it talks about how people are, are talking against him, talking him down. And, and so they, the Philippians know this, but, and they knew that he's being mistreated, maligned, and en envied by other people who are supposed to be Christians. 
but he has learned to rejoice in the Lord and rejoice in Christ, even in the midst of conflict. And he says, imitate me, follow after me. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Remember basic, basic Christian principles to resolve conflict. We turn to scripture. We also look to leaders, look to others as examples to help us. So, to close this off, how do we respond to God's word? So, you two best friends have had a falling out. What do you do? Be a mediator. Go for the best. Acknowledge God's power in your life to make an impact on your friends' lives. A husband and wife disagree. How do they make that final decision? They need to remember, for all of us who are husbands and wives, we need to remember, we have a marriage, not of two, but of three. Him, her, and God. It is by God's design that as in Christian marriage that we are able to know that when we have problems with each other, we can go to him in prayer and call upon him to mediate for us. And lastly, I'm really happy at Fort Bend we haven't had too many big problems, not that many things that we argue about, not any things that cause us to, to fight or to, or for, or what, what do they say? Don't cause us to, to have fights or to have flight, that people would just leave, okay, because of the, what they don't like. Uh, hasn't been that, been that kind of church, but maybe this is something where as we study this passage, we need to understand for ourselves in preparation for the future. Maybe there will be things that will happen in this congregation or in a small group uh, that will cause a breakup. And so this question, a church of 100 members has a vote. The ballots are counted and there's 51 for and 49 against. How many people are for after the vote? Too often times, people will just look at it and just say, uh, there's 51 for. So that's the number of people who are for this. And they'll support it in the church. This is a trick question. I did not get this right on my exam. The trick question is this. It's not about who has the most votes. It's about who decides that they're going to stay together. And the key to this is saying that how many members are for after the vote? After the vote, it's 100. It's because the 49 understand that they need to join together with the 51 because this is God's will for the, for the group. Now the 51, not time for gloating. It's time for outreaching. 
to mend any broken relationships, to build bridges with those 49, so that you're still on the same page, moving forward together. Because ultimately, God's design for all of us isn't about this, we work in a world of right and wrong, when God wants us to say, not uh, us and them, but he just wants us to say, we, together. And Francis Chan puts it this way, scripture is clear. There's a real connection between our unity and the believability of our message. So for you and I, if we are serious about God, serious about Jesus, serious about this gospel that we have, uh, if we're serious about joy, we must be serious about choosing to resolve conflict between each other. And the last thing we're going to finish off with our worship today, and I call our worship team to, to come on up. We're taking communion together. That's not a cup of coffee. That's what it looks like, doesn't it? It looks like a cup of coffee. It isn't. It's a, it's a cut cup of, uh, of the covenant in his blood. In that passage that we normally go through in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we describe how in communion together, how Christ's body is the bread, and we are reminded about his giving up of his life. And we're reminded in the cup of the new covenant of what God has intended for us and what, what we will be having together as a people to be reconciled with him and washed clean of our sins because of his blood. But in that very same passage, the Apostle Paul makes mention of this, about Christian unity, about making sure we resolve our problems. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the, of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. We are going to be taking communion uh, in a minute after I pray. Uh, as we normally do, uh, we have four stations for communion. And uh, come up uh, as to be able to take the bread and take the cup. But I ask you for today, before you come up, Spend a little time in reflection and prayer. I don't want you to say by taking this communion to be able to say, hey, everything's right with the world. I'm right with everybody. I get along with everybody when that's not true. And when you take it and you eat the bread and drink the wine, you're going to be living a lie and you're going to be leaving judgment upon yourself. So I want you to, before you just kind of come up here and grab it before everybody else does, I want you to reflect and pray, do I have an euodia in my life, or do I have a syntyche in my life that I need to reconcile with? Maybe it's not... Uh, not 
another, it could be another man, it could be another woman, it could be your own spouse. Do I have an odia in my life that I need to reconcile with? Also, we are a family of God together, and we, are, we, we can be guilty not of commission, but also omission. Are there friends that need me as a mediator? Have I not offered myself to help in their relationship? Are there friends that need me as a mediator? And lastly, we as a church are to be ambassadors for Christ into this world. In your reflection time, have I forgotten my role in this kingdom as an ambassador for Christ? To proclaim reconciliation, to bring glory to God when I choose to resolve my conflicts, when we choose joy. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, come before you. All the brothers and sisters here right now, they're going to be turning to you right now, reflecting. May your Holy Spirit guide and lead them through this time. We want to celebrate. We want to celebrate as God's people together in the great things you have done in Jesus Christ by his, bloody and by his body and by his blood. But Lord God, search our hearts. Judge us rightly so that we won't be judged ourselves along with the world and condemned with the world. Lord, search our hearts. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.